We're ready to get our afternoon session started here. And what a great way to kick it off. We are privileged to have with us a renowned speaker, an outstanding advocate for family values, and a compassionate guide for the faithful. He is a man of deep faith, intellect, and dedication. A Catholic father of 10 adopted children, a guiding light in clinical psychology, a prolific author, and a dynamic presence on both radio and television. You may know him from his past visits to the Midwest Catholic Family Conference, but probably even more from his popular radio show, The Doctor Is In, broadcast on more than 600 stations and on Sirius XM Channel 130. Or perhaps you've seen his TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray, transmitted globally via EWTN and reaching homes in 140 countries. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome with his own sharp and smart brand of wit, Dr. Ray Garindi. Thank you, you uh, <clears throat> read that exactly as I wrote it. Thank you. My wife is a convert to the Catholic faith. She struggled with confession. She understood the reasoning and the thinking. She couldn't get it through her head that when you go to confession, you gotta confess your own sins, not your husband's. Bless me, Father, Ray has sinned. She made her first confession when she was 39. Now, gentlemen, you read these marriage books, they all tell you the same thing. Be on your knees for your wife. Okay, fine. She goes in the confessional, I get on my knees. And I stayed there the whole time she's in that confessional. So I took a week off from work. She came out. Honey, what do you think? You're right, Ray, I feel cleaner than ever. Good, good. So, um, what'd you tell Father? I'm not telling you that. You can tell me. You're not bound by the seal. I'm not telling you, Ray. I figured it out. If you want to know what your spouse or your kid tells Father in the confessional, you kind of got to go in the back door. So, honey, what did you get for penance? Now, if you know what they got for penance, you can kind of reason backward to how rot gut they were. She said, I guess I could tell you that. I got a rosary. A rosary? It's not bad for 40 years of pagan muck. She said, with the stations of the cross at every bead. Oh. <laughs> I kind of wish she'd have told me that before I married you. I, I still got to kiss you. Then she asked me, okay, Ray, what do you get for penance? Me? Most of the time? Half a sign of the cross? Sometimes a quarter. That's hardly enough time to levitate. I left the Catholic Church in my 30s. I wasn't mad at her. You know how people get mad at the church? We got that new priest. He comes in. I, what he did, we used to have the collections on poles. He took the poles away, and now we have to hand the baskets. We're looking for another parish. No, I wasn't mad at her. Have you noticed how people mostly morally get mad at the Catholic Church? It's almost all down here. When's the last time you heard somebody say, you know what I don't like about that Catholic Church? I'll tell you what I don't like. They say you're supposed to take care of the poor. Oh, that ticks me off. What do you mean? You know that Catholic Church says you're not supposed to punch people in the face. Who are they to tell me what to do with my fists? No, 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 no. It's all down here. Abortion, contraception, adultery, masturbation, all down here. So I left the church. Wasn't hostile. I drifted. God's God. Jesus is Jesus. I'm going to go where I want to go. I was a new atheist. You see, the old atheist makes sense. There is no God. 
therefore I can pretty much do what I want. I was kind of a new atheist. The new atheists fill our pews. There is a God, but he thinks just like me. That's the new atheism, and it is everywhere. So I left. Went into the Protestant world, mostly evangelical. At one point, I was in four Bible studies a week, and I had a prison ministry, and then the trouble started. Before I go any further, I want to double underline this. What I'm about to say here is not to impugn the many beautiful Christians of other faith traditions. We could learn much from some of them. I am speaking to the system that they are in. Catholic? Protestant? How do you know which one's right? You go up against a knowledgeable Protestant, and if you don't know your faith, he'll tear you apart. Okay, so, so why do you pray Hail Marys? Um, well, my grandmother is a really nice lady, and, and she always told me those are good prayers, and, and, and that's kind of what I do. How do you know? You're not a Ph.D. theologian. You don't know ancient languages. How do you know? And besides, even if you did, have you noticed they don't agree? There is a simple way to know, and you don't have to be brilliant to know it. Ask one question. Which system does not contradict itself? Which system is coherent within itself? Where I was, and much of the Protestant world, they have a notion. Sola Scriptura. Most of you know what that means. That means Scripture alone. That means all you need is the Bible. You don't need priests. You don't need that Mass we went to. You don't need a Pope. You don't need all this other stuff that you Catholics have sprinkled in here. No, you got the Bible, and you got the Holy Spirit. You got the Bible and the Holy Spirit. You know Christianity now, that's a nice theory. How does it work? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary of Christian denominations and independent churches in the United States alone, there are over 35,000 different denominations and independent churches. So, when you pose that question to a non-Catholic, if they're smart, here's what they say, and here's what I heard. Ray, you're not being fair. We agree on the basics. Now, <clears throat> I minored in philosophy when I was in college. Philosophy is one of those minors that will mess up your head for the rest of your life. Instead of thinking to yourself, there is a professor Standing at the board, talking. Oh, no, no, no. No, you major in philosophy. Am I in a parallel universe? Can I trust my senses? Am I degenerating into solipsism? By the way, remember that question that messed up your head when you were in school? Tree falls in the woods. Nobody's there to hear it. Does it make a sound? By the way, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's, no, there's nothing to interpret the movement of the, of the air. There is a modern gender counterpart to that. If a man is in the woods, all alone, and there are no women there to hear him speak, if he speaks, is he still wrong? <laughs> These ladies are looking at me like, duh. In philosophy, they have something called circular reasoning. We agree on the basics is circular reasoning. What do you agree upon? The basics. Why are they the basics? Because we agree upon them. Why do you agree upon them? Because they're the basics. What are the basics? You see, you've got to decide that. Who decides? Where I was, we had a basic. Pro-life. It was an evangelical church. It was pro-life. I was sitting in a Bible study with a pastor's wife, and this is when I was starting to drift back towards Catholicism. And I asked her, I said, 
Is that a basic? A baby in a womb is a sanctified life? Well, not sanctified in that sense, but a holy life. Yes. Are you willing to accept that much of the Protestant world doesn't agree with you? That it's a woman's choice? Is that a basic? You know, we Catholics, we went and we, we received that consecrated white wafer that we believe is the God of the universe. Where I was, they said, no way, no how. Is that a basic? Here's another one. Once saved, always saved. By the way, that is a thing that pulls a lot of Catholics out of the church. If you die tonight, do you know where you're going? Now, a Catholic response to that is, I pray and I hope upon the mercy of God. Oh, wrong answer. No, you have to know you are saved. You ask the Holy Spirit into your heart. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you are saved. You cannot lose your salvation. By the way, no offense, guys, but sometimes our marketing stinks. Where I was, we had sound bites. Once saved, always saved. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Major on the major, and minor on the minors. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. We have to agree to disagree. You go up to a Catholic. Why do you believe Peter was the first pope? Well, because... Uh, 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 when they were at the Caesarea Philippi there and, and they had that big monolithic rock and he said, who do men say that I... No, you lose them. You need a soundbite. Pete's got deceit. <laughs> Don't bury without Mary. Eucharist, the host with the most. Once saved, always saved. What a great gig. Wouldn't you like to know there is absolutely nothing you can do to lose your salvation no matter what you do? Seven-year-old kid goes to Bible study camp. He confesses Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He comes home and his mom's ecstatic. You're saved now, you know. You are a disciple of Christ. 17 years old, he goes to Billy Graham concert. Goes down in front, recommits his life to Jesus Christ. Feels the call to the ministry. Gets his master's in divinity. It's a tiny little congregation, but he's a great preacher, and it builds. He's got a nice big congregation now. He's 43 years old. He's got a wife and three kids. A darling little 28-year-old single woman moves in next door. Oh, they start talking. Friendship forms. One thing leads to another. He leaves his wife and three kids. He's out of the ministry, and he doesn't go back to church. Is he still saved? The answer I got to that question makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever. And it is an answer that is the common answer. He must not have been saved to begin with. Wait a minute. He thought he was. He believed he was. You told him he was. And so now he finds out 36 years later, he was wrong. Then how can you know you're saved? If at any point along the way you could be wrong from back at the beginning, you can't know you're saved. Here's another area I struggled. Where I was, of course, our Old Testament only had 39 books in it. The Catholic Old Testament has 46 plus parts of a couple. Where did that Bible come from? Well, a knowledgeable non-Catholic will know that back in the latter part of the 4th century, the bishops got together and they prayed for guidance and they decided what the Scripture was going to be. Because think about this. If the Holy Spirit didn't guide him, you don't know you got the right Bible. You just got a bunch of guys who got together and said, let's take these books and we won't take those books. Because there was a lot of books floating around. Now, most of my Protestant friends would say, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? It wasn't, it wasn't those Catholic guys that put the Bible together. It was the Holy Spirit that put the Bible together. The Holy Spirit can, can use this thing. Okay, fair enough. Let's look at the logic. The Holy Spirit must have gotten the New Testament right because non-Catholics agree. 27 books in the New Testament. Holy Spirit was correct. But apparently, 
He got the Old Testament wrong because 1,100 years later, Martin Luther decided to correct it. So this is what you're dealing with. On one hand, Protestants agree that the Holy Spirit was right on the New Testament. They disagree that the Holy Spirit was right on the Old Testament. Now, you can say, well, okay, that's all right. That's how God works. You know, 1,100 years later, he corrected it, so what? I mean, you could say that. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Holy Spirit decided just to divide up what the Bible was going to be. I was a mess, dear people. You know, there was a point for me, I didn't know what to believe. I wanted to be a Christian, and I didn't want to leave Christianity. But I'm thinking, what is Christianity? You know, you guys, me, you go into a Eucharistic procession behind a white wafer, looking anyway. Now, is that God, or is it a white wafer? If it's not God, you people are nuts, okay? I'm a shrink. You're going to kneel down in front of a white wafer that isn't God? Then what's wrong with you? Now, we'll get to that in a second. I was a mess, dear people. I was in the kitchen one time. I'm leaning against the counter, and I was on the verge of tears. Now, gentlemen, I'm going to give you a little marriage communication tactic. If your wives are thinking you're not sensitive enough, and they say to you, we need to talk, which is marriage code for, let me tell you what's wrong with you. And you're not emotional enough, just quietly turn around and pull about six nose hairs. It makes your eyes water, okay? And you look like you're sensitive, toxic sensitivity. So I was upset. I told my wife, I'm on the verge of tears. And the last time I was on the verge of tears, I remember exactly when it was. When the Browns called a draw play on third and 12 in the playoffs. I thought, how could they do that? I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to know what to believe. I was educated my first year at Case Tech as an engineer. And as an engineer, you can't go, you have your formulas, I have my formulas. We have to agree to disagree because one of us has got the wrong formulas and the bridge is going to fall down. Well, I thought to myself, well, wouldn't Christ want to teach us truth? Or would he say, well, you never can really know about a lot of these things here. You just kind of got to agree to disagree. I didn't know. We had just adopted our little son, and, and I was wondering, well, do I baptize my little baby boy? Is that a basic or not? One of my grandparents died. Do, do I... Do I pray for my grandparents' soul or not? Do I ask my departed brother to pray for me or not? I didn't know what to think. Could I kill a baby in a womb or not? White way for God or not? Can I divorce my wife and get remarried or not? What the heck is this thing you call Christianity? I was a little too logical to run my hands around this thing. There is a way to know, and it's pretty simple. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of writings from the early church, from people who knew the apostles, who traveled with the apostles, from people who knew the disciples of the disciples of the apostles. We got a lot of writing. They talked about how the early church looked at Christianity. So I went back, and I read, and I read, and I read. Oh, man. They baptized babies. They believed the Eucharist was the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. They prayed to the saints. They prayed for the dead. They, they believed baptism regenerated the soul. All the stuff that I was told where I was that the Catholic Church added to the simple gospel message was there in some form. They believed the Bishop of Rome was the preeminent bishop. Whoa. I was in a Bible study one time with a very anti-Catholic woman, and I said to her, if St. Peter were sitting in our Bible study, and she said, we're all saints. I said, okay, if Mr. Peter were sitting in our Bible study, 
Could he tell us whether or not to baptize a little baby? She said, I suppose he could. Would you believe him? She said, that depends. I said, that depends upon what? She says, if he's being true to Scripture or not. Now, that sounds ridiculous to us, right? St. Peter, but if she has the Holy Spirit then she can say, my interpretation of Scripture is guided by the Holy Spirit, so therefore, if St. Peter agrees with the Holy Spirit, he's right. John Henry Cardinal Newman, the biggest convert of the 19th century, said this, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Peter Kraft, for my money, the modern C.S. Lewis, a brilliant man, he converted to the Catholic Church, and somebody said, why did you convert? He gave a, a one-word answer. History. I got a call on the radio show once from a 25-year-old girl. We attend a very strict Bible college. We're studying the early church, and my husband and I are going to convert to Catholicism. I said, why are you doing that? She said, well, we're looking at the early church and what they believed and what they thought, and it was very much Catholicism. I said, now, wait a minute. Your prof knows more about this than you do. He knows what the early church taught. Why isn't he converting? And she said this. He picks and chooses where the early church believed with certain tenets of Protestant theology. That's yeah, good. Where they don't, he kind of just plays it down. And the answer I got to that didn't make any sense. The answer I got to that was, well, hey, those guys were not infallible, okay? The Bible is inerrant. Those guys, yeah, okay, they were early church guys, but hey, maybe they were wrong. And you know what I thought to myself logically? Okay, fair enough. But if St. Ignatius, who knew the Apostle John for 40 years, said... In so many words, the bread and the wine become the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If he got that wrong, something that big, well, maybe he just got wrong the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, too. Maybe he got wrong the idea that Jesus is God. I mean, you get something that big wrong, how do I know whether to trust you? So as I read... I came across something where I was in the evangelical world. They said this. What we don't understand about a lot of these Catholics is that you look at that white wafer and you don't, you don't give any credibility to your senses. I mean, can't you see? Can't you see that's a white wafer? If you put arsenic in the consecrated blood and drink it, you would die, which is true, because we don't consecrate the arsenic. Let's see, there's a big man in front. Hold on here a second. Have him be my, my guinea pig here. Sir, what is that? He says that's a quarter. You're absolutely right. And that's the last one you're going to get right. <laughs> now, I'm going to hold this quarter in my hand as still as I can. All right? Now, does it look like to you, for the most part, that quarter is still? still. Okay, it's pretty still. You're absolutely wrong. That quarter, if it were at the equator, it would be moving approximately 25,000 miles per hour. The solar system's moving through the galaxy even faster than that. The Earth is revolving around the sun very fast. And the galaxy's revolving through the universe even faster than that. Physicists and astronomers estimate that when that quarter was sitting there still, it was moving approximately, given everything moving the way it is, 550 miles per second. Uh, your senses tell you that quarter's moving 550 miles per second? What are the elementary particles of this quarter? What's it made of at the most elementary level? Atoms, exactly. 
Do you know how fast the electrons in the outer orbits of this countless trillions upon trillions upon trillions of atoms in this quarter are moving? Does anybody know the vibrating speed of the outer orbit electrons in the trillions upon trillions of atoms that make up this quarter? Speed of light. What is the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. Can you fathom anything in this space moving at 186,000 miles per second? This is not nuclear particle physics, dear people. If your kids go to college, this is what they're going to learn in Physics 101. Now, sir, I didn't ask you to bend this quarter in half, but my guess would be, even though you're a pretty rough-looking guy, you couldn't do it. He wants to try. He wants to show off in front of the girls. I can show off in front of the girls. And when I ask people, why can't you bend this quarter in half, the guys will say, well, because it's metal. It's solid metal. <laughs> this quarter is 99.9999999999% space. It's all space. If you distilled this quarter down to the matter in it, you couldn't see it. Those chairs you're sitting on, they're all space. This is all space. Next time your wife says to you, do these pants make my butt look big? You just say, no, baby, your butt's all space. <laughs> Can you trust your senses now? You're totally wrong. You don't even know what you're looking at. So the next time you look at that wafer and you go, well, I mean, I'm going to believe it because the church says so, but I mean, come on, it's just a white wafer. No, you, you do not understand the very substance of that wafer. The early church, first thousand years, nobody that we have writings of said, that's a memorial meal. Nobody. I used to tease my Protestant friends. I'll say, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you 25 to 1 odds. I'll go, and if I can find 25 early church writers who said this is a miracle that he left us that we don't understand, but because he's God, he could do it. You find one that says it's just nothing other than a memorial meal. Nope. Nope. Nobody will search that out. It's too scary to search that out. Sir, I come to you and I'm trying to convince you that this guy that I traveled with was the God of the universe, and he rose from the dead. I used to do psych evaluations for a mental hospital. Parents would bring usually a young adult in because that's typically when psychosis hits, late teens, early 20s, that's the most common time. The kid is seriously disturbed, he's hearing voices, he's got delusions, he is confused, he's dangerous. So I interview him. Now, he knows he's got enough up here that's working pretty well. He knows that if he answers these questions wrong, he's going to be committed. He doesn't want that. So he's very careful how he answers. And he sounds pretty clear to me. At the end of the interview, I say, is, is there anything else? Yes. What's that? Did I tell you I'm God? The interview went on one minute too long. Those of you who have elderly parents who are on the front end of dementia, sometimes it's very difficult to determine dementia because there's personality changes that take place, and the easiest explanation is, well, you know, mom's always been that way. She's always kind of been, you know, kind of frugal that way. So the fact that she's saving everything and keeping it all up, that's just kind of more of an exaggeration of her personality. My mother-in-law lived not too far from us. My wife would check in on her every day. Every single day we went into that house, mom was sitting at the table reading the paper. Every day. Pretty normal stuff, right? One day I said, hey, ma, what's that word mean? She looked and she said, you know, Ray, that I don't know. That's a funny word, isn't it? I've never seen that word before. 
And that was a very everyday word. So the changes often are very subtle early on, and it's only when you look back and you go, you know when it started? I'll tell you when it started. So I want to convince you that this guy that we traveled with rose from the dead. And I'm talking to you, and she's listening. He's not. He's, he's skeptical. But she's listening. And as I talk, she's thinking, okay, he seems pretty rational. He doesn't seem crazy. Seems to be of his right mind. But he's telling me something that's pretty hard to believe. And he says, what else? And I say, well, he gave us this system, this moral system. And, you, and you'd think it wouldn't work but it works beautifully for maximum happiness and contentment. Isn't that what you want? Yeah, but not if I have to believe some guy was God and rose from the dead. Then he says, what else? I said, okay, now here's my selling point. You die, we take care of them. They come to our community. They're not going to be destitute. They're not going to be prostitute. They're going to be in our community. We will take care of them. Oh, wait, now he's interested. He says, are you telling me everything? Well, not exactly. Um, okay. Um, we believe that we have certain kind of appointed people who can take bread and wine, and um, we turn it into him, and then we eat him. The interview went on one minute too long. Why would you make something like this up? You're trying to start a new religion. It makes no sense to go around and tell people this is at the very center of our religion. He left us this, this belief as truth. You wouldn't say that. You just leave it out. Or you say it's a nice memorial meal. Everybody had memorial meals all over the place then. Sometimes I'll, I'll tease my Protestant friends. I'll say, okay, when did the second person of the Blessed Trinity become human. At what biological point? Now, if you're a traditional Christian, you'd say at conception. Okay, stop the tape. Take that one-celled zygote out of the Blessed Virgin's fallopian tube. Put it underneath a microscope and look at it. Would you say, you know... I always wondered what God looked like. He looks like a cell. Mm -hmm. DNA, look at that. I can't believe that. You'd see a cell, that's all you'd see. But Christians believe that's the God of the universe. Now wait a minute. Is that any harder to believe than that that Eucharist can be the God of the universe? I mean, come on, it's not that much different. But yet, non-Catholics will believe that, but they won't believe that. There's one more thing that pulled me into the Catholic Church. In the 1960s, there was all kinds of smart people saying, there are too many people on the earth. California is going to drop into the ocean with the weight of all these people. And I said, what's your point? <laughs> Anytime anybody tells you there are too many people, you ask them one question. How are you so sure you're not one of the too many? I want everybody else to check out. I'm not going to do my part and get out of here, you know? Oh, my gosh, they put all kinds of pressure on the Pope. Pontiff, change it, please. You Catholics are having too many babies, way too many babies. we got to change this. we got to plan our families. we got to use artificial contraception. we got the pill now. We can make that happen. So the Pope appointed a commission, and the original mission of the commission was to say, let's teach the faithful about this, because this is a new thing coming down, and we've got to stick to traditional Catholic teaching on this. This goes all the way back to the apostles, this teaching. Basically, if God says, I want to give you a kid, and you say, I don't want one, you know more than God. So, there were originally, I think, 19 people ethicists, medical people, clerics. It went up to about 63 people. They went to the Pope. They said, change it. 
All the Protestants are changing it. They have changed it. Change it. So the Pope does what popes do. Pray. Ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Catholic Church has a teaching that made many people very angry where I was. This is the teaching. That the Holy Spirit himself will protect his church from teaching error in matters of grave moral and beliefs. Now, you got to have that. That makes logical sense. Because if you don't have that, you basically become a bunch of guys trying to decide what's moral, and that can change from century to century to century. And there are churches out that have done that. In the 1930s, every single non-Catholic church said, artificial contraception is a grave moral evil. Okay, here's the logic question. Was the Holy Spirit right then? Or is he right now when many of them say it's not a grave moral evil? Or is that a basic? So the Pope came out and said, no, we can't change it. We don't have the power to change it. And furthermore, if we did change it, here's what would happen. Coarsening of morals. Women would be demeaned. They would be viewed as objects. There would be more abortions. Marriages would suffer. The Catholic intelligentsia, especially in the U.S., went crazy. This is why you don't have an old man sitting in Rome telling us what to believe. They didn't know this then. They know it now. The pill is an abortifacient. That means in an unknown percentage of cases, it will kill a two, three, four, five-day-old baby. And by the way, if anybody says, that's not a baby, that's not even human, you just say this to them, you were that age once. You see the logic problem? If the church would have said, okay, we change it, you can use artificial contraception, they would be in essence saying this, Life begins at conception, we're going to give you permission to take a chemical that in an unknown number of cases will kill that life. Now see, this is the most unpopular teaching of the Catholic Church, by far. I've seen surveys where they have young people of childbearing age. The majority do not follow this. And you want to say to them, well, unbeknownst to you, sadly, tragically, you may have killed one of your offspring. You don't know it because... What happens is the body thinks it's pregnant. The pill is not perfect. Pregnancy can occur on the pill. It happens a certain percentage of the time. Okay, the egg is fertilized. You got a brand new human being. It goes down the fallopian, fallopian tombs. It tries to implant into the uterine wall, and it can't because the body's hostile to it. It thinks it's pregnant. Washed out. You have a very, very early abortion. Now, you see, for me, that was the last step into the Catholic Church because she's teaching something that is worldwide horribly unpopular, but yet, but yet, if she didn't, she would be caught in an enormous logical inconsistency. You can kill a brand new baby. We give you permission so much for the pro-life stance. You have to do all kinds of gymnastics and say, well, come on. You can't, you can't say a five-celled thing is a human. Okay, when do you decide it's a human? You know what people say? I'm going to digress here for a second. You know, this is one of the arguments you get. Well, I personally wouldn't do it. But who am I to tell other people they can't do it? That is so stupid and illogical. Well, you know, I personally wouldn't own a slave. But who am I to tell you you can't own a slave? What is this? The whole culture tells people what you're allowed and not allowed to do. Or this one. I love this one. I am not a one-issue voter. Okay, here's my proposition. Medical expenses are getting out of control. Here's what we need to do. We've got a person running for high office that says... Anybody over 75 should not be allowed any medical interventions because people over 75 are using about 80% of our medical dollars. So we want to save costs. 
over 75, forget it, can't get medical intervention. Now, that particular person running for office, you agree with on every single other issue. But he also says that. Would you vote for him? No, because I love my mother or I love me. Well, then you are a one-issue one voter. It just depends on the issue. Trap them with their own one-issue logic. There's only one reason to be Catholic. Not because you like Father. Not because you have comfortable seats. And by the way, you guys don't have anywhere near the comfortable seats we had in the evangelical world. Man, we had cup holders. It was great. And a pastor would get up there and he'd preach for like 38 minutes. You do that in a Catholic church, you preach for 38 minutes, you'd hear the guns. The buffet price changes to noon at this time. I had a priest from Tanzania tell me this. He said the village people often have to walk many, many miles to get to a mass with a priest. And if we don't talk for at least an hour, they're upset because they're not getting their money's worth. Whoa, man, don't, you better not go beyond seven minutes with us, pal. Calling the bishop on you. There's really only one way to know you're wrong. Think about this. You say there's no God. You die. And in fact, there is no God. But you don't know you're right because you're dead. You say there is a God. And you die. And there's no God. But you don't know you're wrong because you're dead. You say there is a God. And you die. And there is. Oh, you're right. You say there is no God and you die, and there is. You're tragically wrong. For me, the evidence is powerful, historically, scripturally, consistently, that the Catholic Church is who she said she is. Brought me back to the church after eight years' absence. You know, during that time, I begged the Lord... About year four, when I was getting into my biggest confusion, I begged him, please, 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 I just want to believe. I just want to believe. Please, could you just, you know, I, I look at my mother, and she just believes. She just believes. She says, how could you not believe? I just believe. I go, okay, that's what I want. I want to just believe. Never happened. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knew what I was going to do. I dove into reading and studying and listening hundreds of books hundreds of articles hundreds of tapes yeah tapes i know i know what you're thinking tapes hey you're not talking to a sophisticated guy i still wear my garage door opener so people think i have a pager now i never knew that radio show was coming I had pretty much given up on media. I was doing mostly public speaking, seeing clients. I gave up on media. The opportunity for that radio show and then the opportunity for that TV show. And had I not gone through that four years of self-agonizing searching, I would not have some of the answers to be able to give those people who call in in the same state of confusion that I was in. I can say to them, well, let me tell you what others have said about this. Or let me tell you what I've concluded after reading. I can do that now. If he'd have just thrown faith on me, I'd have gone, I, I know, we just believe it, Becky. I, I, you know, you just, you just got to feel it in your heart. That's all. You just got to feel it in your heart. And that's good for some people, but other people are going to look at you like, if that's all it is, pal, if it makes no more sense than that, I don't want it. little digression here for a moment. Good Lord permitting, on November 15 and 16, I mentioned this in the hall, but some of you did not come to that talk, and don't blame me if your kids or grandkids are on Dr. Phil. We're coming, God willing, November 15th and 16th to Wichita 
to film the TV show. And obviously the audience is the best part of the show in my opinion. So we have a sign-up sheet to give you more information. It's just a preliminary. You're not committing yourself to anything. Preliminary. It's a sign-up sheet for you to say, okay, I want more information. There's four shows, two a night. You can come to one, two, three, four. Please bring the kids. I think if we bring, if we have four homeschooling families with 10 children, we got the, we got the audience. Okay, right there. So, of course, that's what I wanted to tell you. Now, I did this yesterday in the hall, and I was talking to some people, and they said they weren't there. <laughs> you believe that? <sighs> Surprised I'm even talking to them. I want to do this again because I know by far among you the biggest struggle, the biggest heartache is that your children left the faith. They reject it. They're hostile toward you because of it. They're hostile towards you because of your political views, your moral views. They want no part of it. And what do you do? I'm a failure. I didn't do something right. It's his fault. You know that? I wanted to pray the rosary kneeling on broken glass in Aramaic. Oh, Mr. Mr. Sit on the couch. Spiritual sloppiness. So, I would like to prove to you, please, if you are tormenting yourself over this, that your days of doing that are over. Please just answer yes or no to these questions. Is there a God? Christ God? Was He sinless? Could He perform miracles? Did He have a perfect understanding of human nature? Could he get most people to follow him? You all think you're better at this than the God-man. Our Lord himself couldn't get most people to follow him. Who do we think we are? Some kind of spiritual formula? And you blew it, you know. You didn't have all the variables. Do you remember the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth? That big, long miniseries. You know what I didn't understand about that miniseries? All the apostles had British accents. I mean, even Jesus kind of did, you know? Hello. I'm going for a walkabout. There was a scene where Mary Magdalene was all excited. She finds the apostles in the upper room. She knocks on the door and she says, We've seen him. He has risen. He is alive. He told us to tell you. And Peter's at the door doing this. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. And from the back of the room, you hear St. Thomas say, women's fantasies. She went nuts. Women's fantasies. I saw him die. I was there. Where were you? And she calmed herself down. And she said, He told me to tell you. And I have done so. She leaves. He told you to raise them. And you have done so. To the best of your human abilities, you have raised them. My ten children are grown. As I said yesterday, I got one that's going to say, I'd like to thank the Academy for this honor. And I got another one who's going to say, I'd like to thank your honor for not sending me to the Academy. Never, ever tie your peace to the decisions your adult children make. You cannot control any of that. You know the number one question I now hear is a shrink. I hear this question more than any other question. Will you please tell me how to make somebody be different? I have a hell of a time making you be different. How am I doing for time there, Beck? I'm perfect? Oh, I must be perfect as your Heavenly Father's perfect. You know, it's interesting. I said this yesterday. Becky, I don't think they treat me with respect as a speaker. Because she, the, the other speakers, they hold up, you know, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, all that kind of stuff. She held hers up and it said, shut the hell up. (laughs) 
my wife and I, our 10 children are raised, she homeschooled them, which was kind of amazing because my wife's education is only till about third grade. I told her, I said, honey, you want to do that, stay one week ahead in the answer book. That's all, one week ahead. And we did everything we possibly could do to teach them and soak them in the faith. And unfortunately, some of them have drifted from the church. They're not hostile toward her. They don't look at her like she's just ruining their lives or has ruined their lives. I told them, I said, if anybody's going to ruin your life, it's going to be me. I want credit for this. You know, in uh, the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame, you get in if you basically have a lifetime average of 300. I got 10 kids. Three of them turn out okay. I'm a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I was complaining one time to one of my friends about one of the kids. He goes, Ray, come on, man. You got 10 kids. You're going to throw a bad pup. My children, a few of them are trickling back. You know, they, they got out there and they found out the way the world doesn't, doesn't work so well. And then they're starting to think a little bit about the way they were raised and the other value system they were given. And that's what your kids and grandkids have. You gave them that, so it's there. As a psychologist, when people screw up their lives for the rest of their lives, more often than not, they have no other moral system to go back to. Okay? You set a moral system. So if they're screwing up out here and their whole life is unraveling and they're making stupid choice after stupid choice and they're blaming you for them, don't you love that? They make all kinds of dumb decisions and then they look at you like, you ruined my life. They have something to step back on to. It's there. That's what you put in place. Now whether they took it or not, you have no control over that. I want to close with this. A lot of long-standing marriages out here. I'm impressed, truly impressed. My wife and I have been married 20 happy years. Well, we've been married 39, but 20 happy ones. Every time I use that joke, you know what she says? Oh, you got 20. My uncle Giuseppe, he was at a marriage conference. And the priest said, Giuseppe, how long have you been married? 48 years. 48 years. Giuseppe, would you tell these young men how to make a marriage last 48 years? Well, you got to be nice. You got to do special things. You make her feel a very special when the special days come. For our 25th anniversary, I take her to Italy. Priest says, Giuseppe, that's beautiful. Now, when 50 comes, how will you top that? From my 50, I'm going to go get her and bring her back. <laughs> it's always an absolute precious delight to be here with you. Thank you so much.